0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's mentally yours from men and event. I focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours.
1: Oh hey, I'm Ellen and I'm here with a vet. Hello there. And this is Mentally Yours, UK's weekly podcast on all things mental health. This week we'll be learning about the
2: magical world of virtual reality therapy with Rochelle Bisson. But before we get on to that, you really should make a note to listen to last week's episode all about self-harm. I think the reason self harm's on the rise in girls is uh, probably a combination of things, some things that have always been there such as you know the fact that girls tend to internalize their feelings more than men who might um act out rather than act inwards and it's a bit of a cop out to blame it but you know social media and, and kind of increasing competitiveness in terms of how you present yourself access as
1: well to images of self-harm and descriptions which you know, might not have been so easy to obtain in the past And if you've already listened to that episode and all of our others well done but we'd also really appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or tweet us your thoughts. Last week we were included in a Beautiful Chaos's Roundup of the best mental health podcasts. Oh, were we? Yes, which was brilliant, and I was very proud of that. Um, So any more feedback like that would be brilliant, either through a review or on Twitter. But back to this week, we're going to be talking all about virtual reality.
2: Not the pretending to travel in space kind, but the type that can help you with mental health issues like anxiety. Here's Rochelle Bisson to tell us all about it. So Rochelle, thanks very much for coming on Mentally Yours. So can you talk us through a little bit about the kind of anxiety that you have? It's quite specific, isn't it?
3: It is quite specific. I've I've suffered from anxiety generally in the past, but um, more, more recently it's been linked to claustrophobia, which is fear of being trapped. So um, that can apply to a great deal of things um for me mostly is public transport that has been the major issue obviously living in london um you, you can't do much if you can't get on a tube um but it also applies to other things uh, like lifts um i struggle being in big crowds um when i'm actually really down or having a bad day i struggle to go into to some buildings as well so um even silly things like uh, I go to the theater a lot and um if there's a really long row of seats and I'm sitting in the middle that can trigger it as well so it's quite broad and you know every week almost I was when I was really bad I was finding a new thing that triggered it and it it can be quite scary when you don't know how it's going to trigger and kick off
1: do you know like what you're worried about will happen if you get trapped or is it just a general thing about being trapped yeah it's really weird because
3: when you're in the situation you 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 can't really look in from outside yeah. it's I, I know a lot of people who have mental health problems say this and um when you're outside you think wow did that really just happen that that was so silly or really pointless but yeah when i'm in the situation as much as i can remember all i'm thinking about is how do i get out how do i get out?" and for, on a tube for example part of that is oh, I can't get out you know do I have to smash a window or smash a door and you think of all these really elaborate possibilities of how, how can I escape and for me it feels like the end of the world but I'm not thinking yeah. it's the end of the world but my body is telling me you know this this is huge like this is not good not good get out get out um, but yeah mostly it's me just sitting there thinking how do I get out will I get out and It can get really confusing. (laughs) Was there a specific instance or something that happened to you that
2: triggered this in the first place or did it just sort of suddenly come on linked to your anxiety?
3: I think I've been claustrophobic most of my life and it hasn't been a big issue um, but it's been something that I know that I've had but in terms of something that kicked off the claustrophobia uh, I did get stuck on a tube and uh, it's probably back in 2013, I think. I would just started my first job out of uni. I was commuting to work every day on, you know, tubes, overground trains, all this. And um, we stopped in a tunnel, and the announcement came on, came over the speakers, and he's the driver said, um, "Oh, we're being held here for a moment, or uh, we we don't know when we're going to move on. There's a problem at the track with the track up ahead," and. Something just clicked in my head and I thought, but when are we going to move? You don't know when we're going to move off? really vague language like that really doesn't help me either. And um, I think it was only a few minutes. It wasn't anything major in terms of, you know, the two broke down or you know we were stuck there for hours but for me I just went into this spiral of panic and when I eventually got to the next station it wasn't my stop but I just threw myself off the train luckily um an off-duty police officer kind of noticed that I was in a bit of a state and sort of sat me down calmed me down and rescued me but since then um after that I just continued to avoid more and more things for fear of being stuck again so I would take really elaborate journeys to work. I'd be getting buses and trains and just to avoid the tube, but then the bus would be a problem, but then the train would be a problem. And in the end, I kind of just threw my hands up and said, I can't do this anymore, I'm really ill, I'm really drained from constant anxiety. And I drove to work because it was the only way that I felt really comfortable uh, when travelling.
2: So it was obviously interfering with your work life. Was it also Mm. interfering with social life, social
3: situations and Mm. um, relationships at all? Yeah, I think it was hard to kind of explain to people at first because getting on a train is really, it's quite standard in London. Everyone does it and yeah, you get people who say they're scared of it or they don't particularly like it, but there's very few people who come out and say, I avoid them, like the plague, which is what I was doing. And... There were a few friends that really understood and were there for me. Um, I think a lot a lot of people were just confused, didn't really get it, uh, didn't really understand. And I, f- I think a lot of people find that sometimes the, some animosity that they get towards them because of their mental health is through lack of understanding a lot of the time. But it did affect me particularly because I was avoiding social events because I couldn't get to them or couldn't get to them easily, or I wouldn't be able to have a drink while I was there. People would ask me, why aren't you drinking? And it would become this huge thing. I would make up all these elaborate excuses. And yeah, it it did knock my confidence for a long time. And there was a point where I had an anxiety attack in front of an ex-boyfriend. And he he, he just walked out the house and left me there. and. Dumped me the next day, and the next thing I know, he's telling all of our our workmates that I'm a psycho. Oh my and you're god! Just like <laughs> wow, <laughs> like, yeah, that's awful, mm. and
1: probably really informed your view of how
3: people are going to judge anxiety and anxiety attacks. Yeah, and for a good few months afterwards, I I had zero confidence. I'm a, I'm a very bubbly approachable person I love making new friends and talking to people strangers and that suddenly wasn't me I wasn't talking to people I was shying away from even more social situations than I already was and it was only till I met like my next boyfriend that I actually came out of my shell a bit more because I kind of even though I knew not all boys are like that um I had the proof you know someone actually could treat me right but yeah it it wasn't it wasn't just him there's been a lot of people over the years and also I think a lot of the time I because I was shying away from situations I put maybe barriers up as well because I didn't want to get hurt
1: yeah I think so it knocks your
3: faith in people a bit. a little yeah but generally I have a really supportive family um even though like my dad he's he's traveled to london he's been working in banks for years and years and he said he said to me one day he said i'll put my hands up i don't i don't really understand how you feel explain to me how you feel and even though he he said i don't really get what your condition is he was prepared to sit there and listen and try to understand and he he's really supportive now you know well he's always been too supportive but he he totally gets it and that's all you need sometimes you need someone to sit there and go Okay, I don't get it. But tell me, tell me about it. How can I help you? How can I understand? How can I make it better? I think if you take the time to listen to exactly what my problem is, because it's very specific as well, a lot of people get it wrong. They think I'm scared of trains. I'm not scared of trains. I could go on a get. I could get on a train right now if I wanted to. It's scared of them. I'm scared of them stopping. I'm scared of me getting stuck in it. And I think yeah, there's often people who get very confused and think it's something that it's not um, but I think most of the time I just like people to say it's going to be okay um, even if I'm sitting there freaking out and saying it's not going to be okay um, my, my anxiety attacks are quite internalised so I don't think people know a lot of the time and there's only a few people that I can sort of sit there and go I'm, I'm struggling, help me and I trust them as well so tell us about the kind of treatments that you've had to help you tackle your anxiety. Uh, I've tried a lot of things over the years. I'm sure a lot of people have, trying to find the answer. Um, I've One of the big things I tried first, I did go to my doctor in the end, um, and he was very helpful. He said... Um, go go through mo- your local mind, have some cognitive behavioural therapy treatment um, and I did that, I had that for a few months, started to see a bit of an improvement um, and then I got signed off and it all kind of fell apart um, I, c- I struggled to continue the techniques that I had been taught even though they were starting to be quite useful, I don't think it quite nailed it on the head for me um, but then recently, so I Uh, was approached by the BBC to get involved in this documentary called Can Robots Love Us and don't be confused by the title it's quite misleading for my involvement with it Um, but it's fascinating I've seen it yeah I really enjoyed it. It is really fascinating yeah but um, I don't I wouldn't say my bit is necessarily a robot I, I don't know it's a loose term but they asked me to try virtual reality therapy which to me I was kind of not scared I was quite excited but nervous um just because it was something new it's obviously it's not available on the NHS and it's it's you know only private and not many people do it um but when you've got to the point where you've tried all sorts of different things you've tried mindfulness you've tried CBT you've tried all these different crazy things that you know apps and nothing seems to quite click um when someone goes oh you know here's something new you you do kind of jump at it because you think you never know it could be, it could be my thing and it actually turned out that it was really useful for me. So can you explain um, for those who haven't seen the program
2: exactly what it was that you had because I suppose like you were probably involved with the program on the kind of assumption that it's almost like having a kind of robot therapist but in your case I think it was you had a, a real a human mm. therapist but you also had virtual reality so yeah if you talk us through exactly what happened yeah
3: so um in total i had three sessions the first one was filmed for the documentary um so uh i had this therapist michael um he's great he basically explained that it's kind of a combination of different therapies with the use of virtual reality so there are elements of CBT. There are also elements of hypnotherapy, uh, which I also hadn't tried before. So I was—I th- think I was more scared about that than the virtual reality part. Um, but yeah, and then obviously the virtual reality was kind of the big thing. Um, so we sat and had a chat, and then he said, "Right, we're gonna we're gonna try the virtual reality therapy." And you—you you basically put on what is a normal. VR headset that you could buy in the high street and uh, a phone. So the technology is pretty, I'd say pretty normal for most people. Um, It's just this very specific software that he uses. Uh, It essentially puts you in the situation where you know you're scared where that's where your fear is so it works particularly well with phobias he has a lot of different softwares not just trains and tubes which is the one i did i also did the lift one um but he also has one for dogs i think and public speaking all sorts of fears and phobias um and you have your headphones on the therapist can speak to you through the headphones and you get guided through a situation where your fear would be triggered and your, your anxiety would be triggered. So in my case, you go down the stairs and the train station through the barrier and you go on the platform and then get onto the train and then the train breaks down. And you you have to learn to deal with it um, with the help of your therapist sort of, uh, so Michael would feed me like breathing techniques through um, through the headphones and other things trying to calm me down. And then I think, the, I think the theory is that you have that backup option of you can just step out, you can take off the headset, but you can learn the techniques while your anxiety is triggered and why it's high. And um, throughout it, you have two little pads on your fingers that actually measure, uh, I think it's the moisture on your skin, which directs, directly links to the anxiety. So Michael could see on the screen where I was peaking with my anxiety. So it was really interesting. Um, And yeah, the first time I tried it, um, I stayed in the tube for five minutes, which was for me pretty incredible. And you can see on the documentary, it really hits me quite emotionally when part of the way through the time in there, I realise that not once have I fallen back on my normal sort of panic option, which is how do I get out? How do I get out? And I actually say on the documentary, I haven't I haven't thought about this once and I just burst into tears because it was such a breakthrough. Mm. And you didn't try and rip the head
2: o- headset off or anything like that? You...
3: No I didn't and I think a lot of people have said to me oh but don't you in, don't in the back of your mind don't you know it's not real mm. and I was really worried about that too but when you are in the situation you are quite immersed you have the headset there is background noise um and obviously all you can see is this situation and yeah it it is like a game it, it's not completely perfect it doesn't feel like you know what i can see in front of me now but it works it strangely works and i really did feel like i was going onto a train and i was going to i was going to get stuck on it again so that's yeah. exactly what i was going to ask actually like how real it felt because obviously
2: the graphics aren't sort of like well, it, it's not reality, is mm. it? So did you feel that maybe it's kind of like almost a kind of happy medium, so you're, you sort, you're sort of there, but you're not definitely there? Or did you, to all intents and purposes, really kind of feel like you were?
3: I think, yeah, happy medium is a good way to put it. I I wasn't completely comfortable being there. But, yeah, it was a good balance because it put you in that situation to kind of test yourself, test the the techniques and get you used to falling back on those techniques when you're anxious um but yeah I did feel a little more comfortable than I would do on a normal train but luckily for me as I said I did three sessions I also did a bit of the hypnotherapy which was based a lot around positive thinking which I found really helped for me um and on the third session he he said right let's go outside we went for a walk took took me down to the tube station and we went on a tube and we did a stop there and back on the third session and for me that was not something I was expecting and I did it although I was a bit scared I you know I handled it and I think a lot of that was that I did have Michael with me the first time having that immediate support even if it did break down, I knew he'd be able to talk me through it and help me. But even in the weeks following that, I've been pushing it. I've been testing it. And I've I've done it myself. I've been on tube myself now. Um, I did four stops that time. I was like, oh, that's a lot. <laughs> I mean, for most people, four stops is nothing. That's probably your, half your daily journey for most people. But for me, that was huge. How are you carrying this forward now? Michael said to me, you know, I think you've got this the tools but if you need me i'm here which is great it's always great to know that if you're struggling and you might need further support that you can go back and maybe have another session or just sort of top up or have a chat on the phone about what you need so that was great but yeah for me i'm i'm just pushing it and testing it slowly more and more each week when i can um because it, it, it's not a miracle cure i don't think anything is you It all takes time, it takes work, and you have to believe in it and really try to make it work for yourself as well. And that's just what I'm trying to do. And, yeah, taking it bit by bit. I think lifts have have been easier to conquer for me um, to begin with. So after the first session and as part of the filming for the documentary I, I decided to go in a lift straight after the therapy session um, and since then I've been getting lifts whenever I can really. Um, I did an interview for um, the BBC on the Victoria Derbyshire to do with the documentary and BBC is a big scary building and a bit of a rabbit warren and I did it. I went down in the lift, got oh, taken brilliant. through all these you know, corridors and was absolutely fine and yeah it's just yeah it's taking it step by step trying new things when i can um i think it'll take a long time to get back to where i was i mean when i was at university i was constantly commuting i suppose and getting on buses getting trains home and i think it will take a while for me to get to that point but i'm actually really positive about it and i've never felt like that with any other therapy or technique before and I'm I'm confident that if I keep trying, I will get there. I don't think I've ever had that sort of light at the end of the tunnel view before, which is really nice to have and obviously really boosts you and helps you to get through it when it's tough. I don't know if Ellen might
2: have a view on this because obviously you've suffered from anxiety as well. Are you planning to or have you ever sort of had any therapy to do with maybe kind of the root causes around your anxiety?
3: When I first... Went to my doctor and he said about CBT and going to mind. They did ask me about um, having sort of psychiatric kind of what's the word? Well, just talking to a therapist, not necessarily CBT, but um, just talking to a therapist and that. And I kind of, I kind of said no to it personally because I thought. I I know what set it off. I know a lot of people um, with certain mental health conditions, it takes a while to get to the root of the problem. But for me, I I kind of thought, well, I know what triggered it. And part of me knows it's irrational. It's an irrational fear. Um, And there is some inevitability to it. You know, trains are going to break down. Lifts are going to break down. You don't know when it's going to happen. And I kind of learned to accept that. And also, I think when you're experiencing that kind of specific anxiety, mm. it's like you kind of
1: don't want to go through finding the cause. You just want to fix it. Yeah. So you can get back to doing normal
3: things, I suppose. Definitely. I mean, I think there are some therapies that really look backwards into the past to try and help you understand things. I, and I don't think mine's been like that. It's It has very much been in the now. It's been something that's really got in the way and affected my life and as you say i've just been desperate for this fix for well it's been maybe three or four years now and yeah when when you've been held back on so many different levels it you you do you just want to find that miracle cure even though you know it doesn't exist you just want something to work like that like and it it might not be there but there are things that can help i think it's just finding the right thing for you and that can take a while for me it, it did take a while
2: well, we are really very angry about this shit. Yes, we are really very angry about this shit. Something that I'm angry about this week, Ellen, is, uh, well, it's been making the headlines, quite rightly. A Big Brother contestant tweeted that depression isn't real. Now, I'm kind of laughing about it now because it's just like I've had a few days to sort of think about it and, like, find it amusing and stuff. At the time, I didn't find it amusing. At the time, I was just like... Are
1: you, are you serious? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, what is wrong with you? And he did about a 30-tweet thread explaining how in control of his emotions he is and yeah. how brilliant he is and why we should all think like him. Yeah, so it wasn't is, just that one sort of like, I mean, that
2: would be bad enough. Oh, by the way, guys, depression isn't real. Lol. I might get it up.
1: <laughs> it's quite a let long thread. Let me see thread. if I can pull up some of the best yeah. bits. Not so, to um, bash him, but I'm sure he's had plenty of bashing. He's had a lot of bashing week. about it, quite rightly so. What's his name? Uh, Andrew, Andrew Tate. Tate. Yeah. Hi, Andrew, if you're listening. Of... Yeah, i never heard of him until this thing. No, is... me neither. He yeah. says, depression isn't a special emotion that gets its own category. Depression has killed zero people. Um, okay, That's then. That's not true. <laughs> There's many people who have died because of depression yeah. and other very, very bad mental health issues, which is... Insane. I'm just reading through this again and getting angry all over again. Oh God. I think it's just disappointing, isn't it? To sort of think, oh, it's
2: it's not real. To think, like, if you haven't experienced something, it's not real. So it's, yeah. It's, I mean, I suppose that's. But interestingly, I mean, it's in a way, it's kind of useful because it's got people talking about it, and like, it's a, it's a really obvious example of how. Some people struggle with the concept of mental illness because you can't see them so you know if i broke my leg and it was in a plaster cast i could plonk that down in front of andrew tate and say i broke my leg look breaking your leg is real but you know like i can't you can't stand in front of him and be
1: yeah you know i think it's a good kind of exercise in this is what you shouldn't think about mental health issues and if you say these things good because that means we can educate you even if it's in the form of just tweeting angry stuff at you.
2: Yeah I think also like his, his argument was basically it, it raised another interesting point because he was saying depression isn't real but also his kind of cure for depression was that he thought that depression was basically being a bit sad and so his cure for it was changing your life basically, so yeah. doing different things in your life and changing your life. So there's that common misconception that it's actually something directly causing depression as opposed to you know kind of an imbalance of chemicals in your brain or something it's it's that kind of idea that something has made you sad you know like uh, people find that easier to understand don't they so like maybe a friend's died and then you're sad so people can understand that but if if it's just happened it can be quite hard to explain to people who haven't had mental health issues this is something that's happened it's, and, it, yeah, I suppose I took it quite to heart because um, I started getting depressed when I was 14 and there was no reason. Like, they was, it just kind of came out of nowhere. And so I couldn't say, this has happened. It just... All I knew was just that I was regularly crying, at, like, floods and floods of tears, locking myself in the bathroom and just not knowing why I was so unhappy.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. And so. I think... So, the reason that I didn't let his tweet affect me or tweets multiple yeah is that he was quite clearly doing it to get attention like after that he was writing things like the first time i bothered to reply to an ugly girl i'm a changed man like he's not exactly you know known for doing good opinions on twitter Mm. And I think it's it's miserable that people are like, Okay, you know what's gonna get me loads of attention and loads of followers is bashing mental health. Mm. But I think even if you genuinely believe that, even if you genuinely think, Okay, depression isn't real, it's just because you're eating bad food and lying around and you're being lazy. Or you've got a sad life. Or you've also, got a sad life. You know, you've got a- you're what? in a bad like, situation. So, so what? Why would you want to just bash people for that instead of saying, okay, so here's how I'm actually going to genuinely help people or let me actually ask people and try to encourage them rather than just slamming them on the internet. Like, mm. who is that helping? What What's the point, basically, apart from getting loads of retweets and angry comments? No, you're right. He just wants attention,
2: doesn't he? And unfortunately, we've given it to him because it's made us angry and we talked about it again. Exactly. But, yeah.
1: But, you know, sometimes it's good to publicly declare... What this person tweeted is dumb, and it's good that we've all told him that it's dumb, and I hope that now he'll fully understand that. I doubt he will because I think probably what happened was he looked at all the retweets and comments and went, "Ha, huh, fun! I've pissed off the like the snowflakes or whatever." But like, you know what? We can just not care. Like, people have mental health issues. We know that they're real. It doesn't really matter what some very stupid man on the internet thinks. Yeah. Stupid crap, my brain
0: has told me, I am, oh, stupid, 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 stupid,
1: stupid. So this past weekend, I got very like physically sick, where I was throwing up and just not feeling great, and I didn't kind of realise that when you feel like that, your mental health kind of takes a nosedive as well, um, you know, which is not great. So mm. I think the stupid crap was just like, I should just stay in my room forever. Like I don't just let the world carry on without me. I'm pathetic. Like I'm just a puking mess. Um, I'm so embarrassed of myself. Like this is going. Everyone's going to think I'm weird for needing to go and throw up and stuff like that. Just really self-hating, stupid stuff. Because it's- I think when you're in the pit physically your brain kind of comes down to meet it as well.
2: I find it quite interesting how, yeah, your sort of physical self and your, well, obviously your brain is your physical self, but yeah. you know how your mind and your body are kind of connected like that. Because I hadn't really realised that until I saw my GP about, um, it was it was a little while ago, but i have been getting sort of kind of depressed at the weekends. And... And we, we worked out sort of between us that it was because I'd been getting tired during the week. And so the physical process of just getting tired and kind of all the commuting and all that sort of stuff, that had taken a toll on my mental health and made me have a low mood. It didn't make me very, de- very depressed, but it did definitely bring yeah, me down. And when he said it that, it was kind of like a light bulb moment. I was just like, oh. And it's funny, really, because, I mean, I talk about sort of obviously your mind being sort of as important as your body, but still it is kind of... Weirdly, kind of easier to accept, like if, if you just think, oh
1: well, my body's doing this, so it's kind of triggered my mind to be like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Because p- I always think in the reverse. It's like yeah. Because um, what was I reading a while back? I was reading about how a lot of anxiety sufferers actually have like irritable bowel disease because it's such a physical issue and it really causes stomach issues. Yeah. Um. So I think about that a lot, and in terms of headaches as well from crying, etc., etc. Mm. I didn't really think about it in reverse and how, okay, if I'm feeling sick and pukey, I'm Mm. probably not going to feel very happy as well. Um, so that was quite an interesting, interesting lesson, but you know, not a pleasant weekend basically. Are you feeling better now? Yes. Which is great. And I kind of recovered physically, but at the same time, I think the second I realized that my physical well-being was actually causing a massive spike in my anxiety. I was like, okay, I'm just going to take some time to focus on actually getting better, not just physically but also mentally Mm. and giving myself some time off to actually heal. Because I think a lot of people... In in today's modern society, you feel bad for taking time off or yeah, for it's like staying Lam- in. Like the lemsip advert, is it lemsip? It's one of them. I have no idea. Where they, ba- where they battle
2: through, basically. I can't. There's a classic one. It's just like, oh well, I couldn't miss this presentation. I've yeah. taken a load of headache tablets. It was, it's all lemsip or something. Oh no, I, you, can't, you can't. I've gone to come into work and, yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's one of my favourite adverts. It's a shame I can't properly. Reenact it for you in the, in the manner the that I would like to but like it's it. very much like there's this young up and coming young buck and he's going to take this guy's job but oh no he doesn't because the
1: guy's coming when he's sick this yes, has got nothing to do that's with mental basically health basically <laughs> me I am the Lemset person but I think actually saying to myself you're a human person sometimes you will get physically sick that's okay no one's going to think you're like some horrible freak or failure you can take a day off you can go home early which is what i had to do on saturday mm. um and,
2: and you can fine. let
1: yourself feel a bit down as well I know exactly a bit odd, but like you can accept that's exactly. part of
2: the illness and
1: i kind of gave myself permission to have a bit of a pathetic evening where i just kind of stayed in bed and was sad and watched films and kind of treating myself the way that i did when i was younger and had a sick day. Yeah. You just kind of watch films and drink tea and stuff like that. And it was really helpful, but it's just kind of giving yourself permission to feel like that and yeah, you know, not be perfect and always be moving and always be healthy and fine. That's
2: exactly it, giving yourself permission sometimes. I definitely find that because I think sometimes like if you're anxious or if you're sad, you there's kind of like that you resist how you feel. So, like, something bad might have happened or, you, yeah, you might feel really stressed or something. Rather than sort of just kind of think, oh, well, it's okay for me to feel like this. You do kind of build up this wall to it sometimes and that makes yeah, it worse.
1: Exactly. Whereas actually
2: sort of saying, well, you know, this has happened. It's perfectly acceptable for me to feel like this. and I am going to feel
1: like this? Like you say, for a period of time and then I'm going to move on. Exactly. Like, I think I have learned to accept... Sometimes I will get physically sick, I'll be throwing up, and it's perfectly normal not to be extremely happy and confident during that time.
0: So this is goodbye from Mentally Yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from Mentally, 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 Mentally mentally Yours. Mentally Yours
1: if you're struggling with any of the issues we've discussed today or need support with any other mental health issues contact the samaritans on 116 123 or visit samaritans.org and if you've enjoyed this week's podcast please do give us a review on itunes and follow us on twitter at mentallyyrs. Thanks to our guest Rochelle Bisson and to our producer Sam Bonham and the creator of our jingles Lucy Baker. Come back next week to listen to us chat with Chloe Brotheridge about hypnotherapy.
2: I kind of had one session I was like, no, this isn't for me. I can't do it. It's too uncomfortable to have to talk about stuff. Um, So I had a few false starts and experimented with a lot of different things like meditation and different exercises and things like that.